This is your coffee break. Hey friends, Sarah here with the Right Now Podcast, and I have a very special guest for you today. I know I say that pretty much every time that I have a guest, but I really feel like this one is special. Today we're speaking with Anthony Olivieri, and I hope that I said your name correctly. Perfectly, actually. Yay! And you just heard a snippet of his voice, and if it sounds familiar to you, it is because he is the writer, producer, actor, all of the things of an audio drama called 2298. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I can't believe I'm actually on the show, to be honest with you. What? I don't even. What? (laughs) Well, because I listened to the show before I ever put my voice to a microphone and... I don't know. It's it's surreal. Oh, well, thank you. So we're going to talk a little bit today about writing and about acting. And also, I think maybe a little bit about I, I kind of don't want to say being a celebrity, but also like being a little bit of a celebrity and like, oh my God. what that feels like and what success feels like to you. And so I started the girl in space audio drama, I want to say probably around the same time you started 2298. Is that like, I think, it, I think you started in September and I started in December. Okay, at the end of December, literally, the last day of December. That's right. That's right. Because the new year launch. That's right. So yeah, so pretty much around the same time with a couple months in between there. And so um, our shows have kind of grown together and we sort of connected. And now we're both part of the Fate Crafters Network. This is a very long introduction. So pretty much welcome to the show, Anthony. I'm so glad you're here. And we're like character, almost singular character driven Mm -hmm. shows. Although you have been much braver than I and ventured out into like other characters. I have a computer in me. (laughs) You know what? It's interesting that you say that. So for those of you who listen to the show, uh, this is completely accurate. I I wasn't brave when I introduced other characters. That was fear. How How do you mean? That was me saying, I don't know if the character of X is strong enough to carry an entire show. And I need to rely on other actors and other characters as a crutch. Like just 100% honest here. Wow. And see, I, and I think of that sort of in maybe the other side to that same coin where I see it as I'm not brave enough to write other voices and other characters because I can't jump into the head of someone else very easily. Right. Like a lot of times also, like I want to write women, like I want to write like POCs and like sometimes that feels like appropriation almost to me too. And it's like, I don't want to do that either. So it's like, I'm just going to stick with little old me and <laughs> And that's safe. I totally get that. Oh my gosh. And I feel like this is just like a whole nother can of worms that we can that we can talk about. But before we do that, for listeners to the Right Now podcast who maybe aren't familiar with your show and you as a writer, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and then a little bit about 2298? Sure. So I have been writing in various forms since I was like really little. I remember making like comic books out of, you know, like loose leaf paper and stapling them together and and stuff like that. And I was the person who never actually showed anyone anything they ever wrote because they always thought it was horrible. I deleted countless projects. Like I can't tell you how many stories I've wrote and now forgot because I don't know, I just got rid of them and, and just never thought anything I made was good until literally last year when I started listening to audio drama. And at the time I was making software training videos for a company. So like I'm certified in a lot of office programs 
Shout out to Microsoft. And uh, I used to narrate training videos like, hey, welcome to an Excel training video with me. You know, like that was me. And so somebody was like, hey, do you ever think about reading books? And I was like, yeah, I love reading books. What do you mean? And they're like, no, narrating them. And I'm like, uh, no, I've never thought about that, to be honest with you. And so at the same time, almost like fate, as people were telling me that I was starting to listen to audio drama and I was getting people to say like, hey, have you ever listened to such and such? And I was like, no, let me let me listen to that. It honestly all coalesced to where the latest idea I was thinking about, I was like, you know what? I'm making this into an audio drama and I'm just, and it propelled my writing in a way that nothing ever really had before because A, once it became weekly and people were like listening to it, I was like, oh, I have to do this now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and B, something about writing and then having to read it, reading it was the best editor I ever had. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I, I, we talked earlier that we're like very, very similar people. You're an INFJ and I'm INFP if you're a Myers-Briggs sort of person. Yes. And even beyond that, though, I noticed the same benefits to my writing from writing an, a fictional podcast or audio drama as well. And it's just it's fascinating. Yeah. Like you said, you become your own best editor because you begin to hear what that dialogue really sounds like. And you're like, oh, is this something a human would say? <laughs> like, right. Absolutely. So your episodes for 2298 are all exactly eight minutes long. They come out weekly. Tell me a little bit more uh, about that format and why you decided to go with that. 2298 was something that I had started. I had about three of the five chapters done. That's what I took and started to create the audio drama from. And so when I first recorded an episode, I was about I want to say six minutes into an episode. And I was like, this is a lot of me. This, you know, this is a lot of one <laughs> singular voice talking at someone. And I don't know, I didn't think it could least couldn't go for, um, you know, 30 some odd minutes, um, like, you know, these other great shows. And so I was like, okay, let me cut it. Now it, I have to also shout out Rick Costi because to me, and my, and this was just my exposure, he was the pioneer for me to show me like, you could have a really short episode and have it be awesome. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, he still had other characters and stuff like that, but they were short. And so I knew short could be done. Mm -hmm. I can't give spoilers, but I can point to something and say, eight is not meaningless in terms of 2298. Eight became on purpose. And you know, this this is something that's very interesting to me in writing and, and the different things that you can do with writing. I know that I chose audio drama as an outlet for my writing, I think for very similar reasons uh, that you did. I like hated everything that I wrote and I was looking for a way to be experimental and get my work out there. If you're writing a novel or a short story, you can sort of infuse your writing with metaphor and meaning. But if you are if you are going at it as as a purely audio medium, there's so many other things you can fit in there that enhance the writing. So looking at the length of the audio episode as in itself containing meaning, um, it's just so it's just so cool what different forms of writing are able to to sort of bring out. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that with us. You're very welcome. 
I want to go back and uh, I jump all over the place when I ask people questions and something that is stuck <laughs> in my brain. I, I want to say also that I know you've talked a little bit about um, being sort of a self-deprecating person in mm-hmm. an episode of Horrible Writing with my good friend, Paul Sading. Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul. We, we both love you. You are such an inspiration, I think, to both of us. I remember one day I woke up and he tweeted like, just wrote 1800 words and, you know, did such and such. And like, what a great morning. And I was just like, 1800 words is like four episodes of 2298. Like, I don't like it's, I mean, I'm in awe still, you know, constantly. But yeah, he's amazing. So so you you were a guest on his show. And and the two of you talked a little bit about uh, your tendency to be a little bit self deprecating. And I want to talk about this, not to like harp on you for being self deprecating, because you're a wonderful (laughs) writer, and you shouldn't be self deprecating. But I want to talk about it. Uh, in the sense of something that a lot of writers struggle with is feeling like their their work is not good enough. And I struggle with this, you struggle with this. How did you get over that enough to say, screw it, I'm going to publish this, I'm going to put this out into the world? Well, I say the audio drama community is amazing a lot. I, I'm I'm very redundant about this on Twitter which is also the only medium that I chose because of how strong the audio drama community is there. Mm -hmm. It was like, if I'm going to make my home somewhere and really spend time there, I'm going to make it in sort of the center of where I think the most activity is. And so I don't have a website. I just have Twitter. And Mm -hmm. so I say all this to say that the inspiration of just talking to people and just seeing their bravery with their art and in some cases being like, this is something that I've always thought about doing, and this person is doing it. And nothing can show you that, like getting into it and seeing it. So the Mm -hmm. first thing I would encourage somebody who's feeling like that is make a profile and lurk. Mm. Like I lurk. And the second part I think for me was I am self-deprecating, but the key word in that is self. Mm. And I decided I'm going to let other people tell me. I've been telling myself what my work is for 30 some odd years, right? I'm going to let other people tell me now, finally. I'm not going to just let myself tell myself what it is. Clearly, I already think I know, Clear, right? Like, we already know what I'm going to say about it, uh-huh. <laughs> you know? When you decide to stop letting yourself tell yourself what your work is and let other people tell you what your work is for the first time, it's freeing almost because you know what you think about yourself if you're a self-deprecating person like me. And so it's almost getting tired of that and just sick of that to the point of saying, okay, if I'm awful, I'll let other people tell me I'm awful. And what I think happens to everyone, and I mean this, I think it happens to everyone. People will like what you make, whether it's one, whether it's 10, whether it's a hundred thousand, There will be people who like what you make and encourage you to keep making it. And so that leap has become so much less fearful for me because it's even if there's just one person there to talk to about it, that's cool. Like, that's really cool. And there's been more than one person talking about it. The show has been successful. Like, you have fans. I cannot bring myself to say such. However, (laughs) the empirical evidence shows that that is true. <laughs> I don't I don't know how well, I do know how. In the sense that when I first started and I encourage other people to do this too, I reached out to the people that I admired. And 
they've helped me. Whether whether that's a product of they actually liked the content, whether that's a product of just their kind hearts, um, I'm you know, or a combination of both. That is why it's been successful. Something you also have to take into account is that you are just a fantastic writer and you have a wonderful voice. And so, I yes, yes, I want you to accept this fully, fully accept this. Let it soak I, in. Uh, I will entertain the idea. Okay, good. <laughs> please, please do that because uh, because it's extremely true. Um, Can I ask you a question, actually, based yeah. off that? Yeah. Okay. Are you as terrified as I am that your follow up show to Girl in Space, if you act in it, will just be your character from Girl in Space acting again because like you're not actually acting because I don't feel like I'm actually acting in certain ways I do obviously I put emotional inflection to sort of mirror the context of what that person should be in but it's very much me in that situation Mm-hmm. That's such a great question. And um, I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately, because I have been thinking about a follow up project. I've been thinking about season two of Girl in Space, but I also have um, another show planned. And maybe I've, I don't remember if I've talked with you about it. I think I've hinted at it. No. Okay, well, hey, but guess I, what? I- I am as well. So we, again, are parallel mind spacing right now. Uh So I'd love to know what you're thinking. So, so yeah. um, And it goes back to, um, I love Stephen King. I'm just going to say that I love Stephen King. I think he's, he's wonderful and smart. And I don't care if people say that he's a hack writer because he produces (laughs) and he produces great things. And one thing that he has said is that every character you create is partially you. And There's this whole, I think, debate to be had about characters that are partially you, characters that are 100% you, and then characters that are you plus ideals, um, which people often refer to as a Mary Sue, and that, that can be a very negative thing. Okay. That, and that's why the Twilight series got so lambasted because Bella huh. Swan, is that her last name, is a Mary Sue. So it's it's a flawless, idealized version gotcha. of the self that like, oh, everyone loves her even though she doesn't really do a whole lot. And everyone thinks <laughs> she's beautiful even though she kind of just looks like everyone else. Um, so, <laughs> I, so I think there's something to be said about avoiding the trope of a Mary Sue um, which can be male or f- there's male and female Mary Sue's and people indulge in writing Mary Sue's because it's a way to, um, to live out sort of a fantasy life, which I think yeah. that we do no matter what type of character, no matter how Mary Sue, no matter how normal, no matter how flawed, uh, these versions of ourself tend to be. I love this. Cause like, I've never really like talked about the, the Mary Sue self as character thing. It's funny that yeah. you say this. I started girl in space because I was doing an episode of the right now podcast. And I wanted to just say like, Hey, this is Sarah and I'm in space. And I just kind of wanted to play <laughs> around with it. Like, and that's yeah. why it was originally going to be um, just me narrating into the void about, you know, my happenings in space. But, but it was X, the, the character of X was originally very similar to me and I actually had to work to make X a little bit less me than me. Um, yeah. I actually did a, uh, I looked around different Myers-Briggs and I was like, okay, I want her to be a little bit more of like this, this character type. And I don't know why I did that. I think I was terrified yeah. of creating a Mary Sue. I was terrified of getting lambasted for saying like, hey, this isn't an actual character. This is just you, Sarah. I think <laughs> so. All this is to say that I, I think this is something very common that that writers deal with and explore, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad 
thing. I think a lot of it, if if you're looking at creating a second work, I think it's important to ask and be intentional about asking yourself, who do you want this next character to be? First of all, second of all, is it okay if there is some overlap between 24 and my new character or whoever, you know, whoever you are? Do you feel the pressure to act it differently? Mm hmm. And this is this is just something that's come up um, as I've gotten into the audio drama world. I've been doing parts for other shows and I don't think I think the episode of Slumberland has come out. Um, But there's four or five other shows that I'm guest acting in. And I'm like, I don't know how to be anyone other than myself. Well, thank you. But I'm like, is it okay if this character is kind of like chill and laid back and has an American accent? Because (laughs) you think of yourself, uh, you know, Will Smith, like every movie that Will Smith is in, he is just very clearly Will Smith. Yeah. And there's such an interesting, um, you're, you're touching on something that's very interesting. And that is when you not only create a character, but you act out the character. Sorry, now I'm just I'm rambling. Gonna... I'm like taking over your interview. No, we are like, Having this is mutual. Okay, like, good. But the, I guess the question then becomes to both of us, how many of us are there really? Yeah. I can't think of too many. And it, are they smarter than us for having not done it? <laughs> I guess the... So I think my question, I have a question to your question. And that is when you say how many of us are there? Do you mean how many characters live inside us? Or do you mean how many other writers are struggling with this? I have too many characters living inside me sometimes, to be honest with you. I just sort of meant like, how many creators, how many audio drama writers are acting out their main character? Mm hmm. And then what do we have left once we've acted out that main character? Is that what you're worried about? Like, how do I just not rehash 24 in my next? Right. Or how does somebody not hear like the, the trailer for the next show or whatever? And it's me again. And it's like, well, that's just 24, like doing this now. I think this is where plot and character developments can have a lot of impact. I think that a lot of characters start from that blank slate place. I think a lot of characters start from hey, I'm just a person and maybe I have a little bit, I have these personality traits, so I may be a little bit cynical. I may be a little bit uh, naive. I may be a little bit, you know, what what have you. I have a sense of humor. I don't have a sense of humor. Um, (laughs) I hate everyone. That's true. You know, and so you kind of, everyone starts with that blank slate. But then I think that where where the pull is going to be for both of us in creating new shows is to establish different problems for characters to solve and thus show characters growing and evolving in different ways. And really paying close attention to how those problems and the environment that they're in helps them grow or lets them grow in spite of what's happening. And so I think that that's really going to be the interesting thing that both of us need to explore. No, I I think you're totally right. And I remember, and this was just through a message, Paul was like, he's like, hey, because I I had told him about what my idea sort of is for for what I want to do next. And he's like, is it going to be you know, like a sci-fi disto. And I'm like, absolutely not. Because like, you know, like you said, if I'm going to make this seem any different, I, I have to really make it seem different. Yes. You know? Yes, absolutely. So. It, it's just going to come from being very intentional with the plotting and the character right. arc. And I think it's going to be interesting. And I would say, try it, even if you're afraid to do it. I plan on doing yeah. it. And I like that you're changing up the genre. I'm doing that too. My next show yeah. is going to be uh, 
sort of like a paranormal, funky investigation type thing. I kind of want to ask you what's super next. Cool. Well, th- well, thank you from those very vague details. What about you? Um, can I ask for some very vague details or are you being very close-lipped about it? The problem for me is I gen- generally I want to be close-lipped about things, but I get so excited. <laughs> you know, and I just I just want to talk about them. So for the next thing I want to do, uh, all I'll really say is that I couldn't stop reading and rereading What Dreams May Come by Ray, by Ray Bradbury yeah. and, and um, I Am Legend by Richard Matheson. I feel like with 2298, I explored a lot of socio-political, economical things. In this one, I want to explore sort of more uh, personal, just emotional things. Flip that coin sort of, you know, and do the other side. I love it. And I'm looking forward to this already. And and I, I sort of want to ask, you work full time yeah, and you have, you know, a life to live. How do you fit in your creative passion? How do you fit in creating all of these shows doing? Because I know it's a lot of work and anyone who yeah. has written anything and then like produced any audio knows that this is a ton of work, even for yeah. short eight minute episodes. How do you fit all this in? Do you plan it out ahead of time? What does your process look like? Well, first of all, I have to correct myself. What Dreams May Come is Richard Matheson. I'm Legend is Richard Matheson. And I was also thinking of Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury, which is where Ray Bradbury came from, oh. because I was also reading a lot of that. Those are two of my all-time favorite authors, so I had to make that correction. For me, creating 2298, and this is not – I, I say, I'm going to say all this, and I want to asterisk it with this is not an endorsement. This is actually a warning Um, this is a large red caution sign saying, do not do this. So when I started creating 2298, I only had about one and a half chapters written and each chapter translates to about four episodes in eight minute intervals. So I recorded the first episode and I was like, and that's when I figured all that out. I recorded the first episode and I was like, okay, each episode's about 600 to 800 words. Like, you know what I mean? Like I just decided those things. Like I said, I was like, okay, this meaning actually of eight fits in with the story. We're going with this. This is happening now. And once I figured that out, I was like, okay, I have such and such weeks to get ready for subsequent episodes. So if you think about it, when I started, I had six episodes written and what I did was, and again, this is a huge red warning sign to not do for anyone else who's listening. I put out the first episode with none of the other episodes recorded and only five of the other episodes written. Mm -hmm. So week four comes (laughs) and I'm putting the episodes out on time and I'm feeling great because, well, I already had them written. Mm -hmm. Week five comes and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. One thing I'm super proud of and I will give myself credit on is I have not missed a week. I've gone 18 weeks now. Well, I will go 18 weeks this Sunday and I will have not missed a week. And so this has happened, again, not because of anything other than just like drive and necessity. I'm off three days a week when I work at Apple. So I work four days and then I'm off three days and they're not in consecutive like that. Like I'm off right now, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Saturday. So for example, right now being off Tuesday, Wednesday, and Saturday, I write the episode on Thursday and Friday on my lunch breaks. On Saturday, I record it. On Tuesday and Wednesday, I edit it and add sound effects. And do it. 
that other stuff. Master it down, whatever. Friday, it comes out for patrons. And then Sunday, it comes out for real. And I'm sort of just doing that loop just over and over. Now, granted, like we were just talking, pulsating wakes up and you know spits out 5,000 words. For me, each episode is only 600 to 800 words, which isn't that you know, crazy or impressive. Only. You know, it, right. Only, only. You know, gosh, I appreciate you sharing that so much. And it's, it's so funny <laughs> how similar our journeys have been. I launched episode one of Girl in Space without having written anything else. I launched God it bless you. As, as an experiment. And it's just, unlike you, I have missed weeks. And actually, I had to take a three or four. No, I took a six month hiatus. I want to say I took but a you six don't, month hiatus. You don't have a set schedule, do you? Because well, if you do, I don't know. My iTunes uh, write-up says it's a bi-weekly, uh, bi-monthly, bi-weekly. It says it's a bi-weekly show. And I've actually gotten some one-star reviews that are like, hey, so remember that one time you said this was a bi-weekly show and then you took a six-month break and like didn't do anything? And it's like, I was writing, I promise. But um, so that's why I'm you so interested. You should make up your own term. <laughs> we call it like pan-weekly. Like, you know what I mean? Like. Which means just whenever I get an episode done, you're <laughs> right, going to hear it. Right. And like, that's just enjoy it when it comes out. But I, I really, I really appreciate what you've done here. And I feel like I mentor people. And oh, cool. one of the things that I do when I mentor people is I talk about self-worth. And the reason that I do this is it's paying it forward because I, I feel like at, at one point, I was very, very much like you. And maybe I still am, I think, in my heart is thinking that I have no worth, thinking that I have no value. Um, but one of the things that I talk to people about is you make your own luck. You absolutely yeah. do. When when people say like, oh, I was just lucky. I think it's more than that. It's, it's talent. It's skill. I, I think that you have made something that a lot of people are affected by for various reasons. And I think that you're you're making something very good. And so you are making your own luck and you're doing it in a in a way that's different from maybe the traditional route. And so I always tell writers and now I tell audio dramatists and other podcasters that you need to have a website. It's the number one thing that I tell people that they need to have. You don't have a website, but you are killing it anyway. Like <laughs> So I so I want to say that there's there's something to be said about knowing the rules and breaking the rules. I yeah. suppose there's there's something to that for sure. Yeah. And and so I want to say that you're doing a very good job of knowing and breaking the rules and finding yeah. finding success in what you're doing and creating something that's really truly beautiful and good. So Thank we're you. just we're it, just going to like flatter you a little bit here. I I was going to say I'm I'm melting here with uh with redness, but I, it, you made me think of something too that had happened. Um, I was talking to White Noise one day and I was just like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if the network took over my Twitter? And he's like, yeah, that'd be cool. And I was just like, all right, sweet. I'm going to make like a network symbol. And like, you know, Will Williams, who's incredible and amazing and follow all of her advice because she's really the one who knows everything to do. Like if you want to be successful, she like wrote something about how she thought that was like really smart and great and like this marketing idea. And it was like, yeah, that was my marketing idea. Like I, I knew that was marketing and that's why it feels like luck. And that's why I say mm -hmm. it, it feels like luck because it's just spontaneous, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so I don't know what else to call that. It's when it's not planned. Is it luck? I don't know. So I, I guess that's why I, I sort of revert to the L word. I understand that. I understand that very much. Gosh, I want to ask you about 
what it feels like to end a project. This is something that a lot of people are afraid of doing. And I want to know what it feels like to say, I have three episodes left and then this is done. Can you talk us through a little bit about what that feels wow. like without giving us any spoilers? Yeah. And wow, to hear you say that, it, to hear someone else say it, it's it feels kind of heavy. Um, but what I was worried about when I started was that no one would like or care about the story, right? Mm -hmm. And when I was making it, I had a very clear start and end to it because one, I sort of knew what I wanted to, to say with it. And two, it was like, all right, I'll just, I'll do this thing. Right. You know, because I, if you have to remember the context of my, of my mind frame when I started creating it, it was, this is a test. Like 2298 is the beta for me making audio drama. Mm -hmm. My first real audio drama will be the next one. If, if we're thinking about it, you know, this, this was the pilot. And so that's why I wanted it to be very concise. And do you know, um, Andy Weir? He yes. Wrote, like Martian. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the first things I ever read from him is called the egg. It's a short story called the egg. And it's one of my favorite short stories. And again, it's conciseness. I just loved how concise it mm -hmm. was. I like things that are concise. Like I am legend is 120 pages or something like that. Like I, I just like that stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like something that can really hit you hard in a short amount of time and words, which isn't to say that length is a detriment because, you know, I talked to Paul Sading about how like him and I love like Robert Jordan and these like, we, you know, like huge, long sci-fi tomes. Like I, I don't, I don't disparage that at all. It's just to say I have a personal soft spot in my heart for the brevity. Now, also, I'm very big into TV as well. And so I've been very much influenced by how TV shows sometimes go a whole lot longer than I think they intended they wanted to. Mm -hmm. And they steer and veer away from what the actual storyline was going to be. Mm -hmm. Like Lost is probably my all-time favorite television show ever. And I love it in spite of them probably admittedly doing that. And so I was like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to. I'm going to, when it, when it started showing that it might be successful, I was like, oh, how do I extend this? Yes. How do I make season two? And I was like, you know what? Nope. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let the parameters of, of what happens outside the show and the story influence the story. And so hmm. by doing that, I think that's why I'm totally okay with it ending in three weeks. And I'm really, really excited because how do I say this? The show is not entirely about what you think the show's been about. And so how do I talk about a show like that until it's over? Right, you right, know? right. So you'll finally get to like discuss the meat of what you've actually been talking about this whole time. Right. Like yes. one of my major inspirations for 2298 is Westworld. And so, you know, season two just started. I haven't watched the first episode yet because I to me, the first season is so perfect. You can end at that and have it tell everything you wanted it to tell and send every message you wanted it to send. Why are we risking it? And, and that's me. And, and there's a whole other side to that argument, right? Where you shouldn't be in fear of, of extending your story and all that other kind of stuff. But I'm excited to end it. I'm excited to have people talk about how it ends and be excited about that, hopefully. And 
discuss what it means and hopefully have a conversation about what it means because that's what the whole show was intended to do anyway was just talk about weird things like the you know the justice system and freedom and you know concepts of choice and things like that that I don't I don't think we there isn't just freedom's great oppression and author- authoritarianism are bad I don't think it's that simple mm-hmm. necessarily mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted to explore those different details of like, well, some dystopian aspects may actually be better than what we're doing right now. Not all of them, certainly, but some of them might be. And so who's to say I, I know what I'm talking about? But like I said, I, I, I didn't even know the conversation was happening. Oh, my gosh. And I feel like we could even just talk about pressure yeah. to continue creating and what we owe our audiences and what it means to just wrap all of that up. My gosh. Let's just do like a 10-part series. Okay. Yeah, this X, is like part... X talks to 24. Yes. You know, a conversation. <laughs> I was going to ask you about how it felt to have people – because people have been calling you 24. Um, yes. In the fan community. And <laughs> – and I know that that's that is maybe I don't know if something you're comfortable talking about. How, like, how has do you anyone ever called you X? It's, it's, I, I yeah. see it in the community. I've seen it in Discord, right? Like, yeah. I've, mm-hmm. I've I've seen it. Yeah, and, and I think so, it, yeah, it, it happens. And like people say, like, oh, that's Monica from Friends. Like, you you become synonymous right. with your fiction, the fictional character you portray. What does that feel like to you? To me, as someone who is um, very much an introvert, very much. Uh, nervous still to this point about the quality of their work. It's at once reinforcing and motivating and terrifying and anxiety ridden Mm -hmm. because it's like, holy crap, people like you and think you're great. Believe that, like feed into that a little bit. Let that, let that mean something. And then the other half of you is like, Uh, they think you're great. Um, why don't you take a step back from that before your head gets a little too big? And, you know, and so there's all these sort of voices at play that it is a very conflicting experience. And it's one that honestly, though, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade for anything because it's forced me to not only get out of that comfort zone, but also like, just think about how many cool people you now know and meet and, you know, and stuff like that. And I think at a certain point, the more you talk to your fans and the more you get to know them as a person, the more they detach you from that character Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and just see you as a, as a person. Mm -hmm. I think also their need to, and want to praise you I think also diminishes. I don't think the respect, obviously, and admiration goes anywhere. But I think it's like it's like if you had a friend who suddenly became super famous, you wouldn't all of a sudden be in awe of their presence. Like you'd probably make fun of that. Right. You know, (laughs) so I I think the more you become friends with them, the more it gets like that and the more comfortable it becomes. Now, unlike you, and I want to ask you a question, if I may. Okay. You've been to an event. Right. I've talked to a couple fans, literally a couple, right? Like no more than two ever at a time, like at once. What was it like and how is it like and how can you sort of prepare someone whose personality is like mine and, and we're similar, like you said, for what that event might be like? 
Oh, gosh. That's such a good question. I think that I didn't prepare for it. I just <laughs> jumped in. So I've been working really hard. This is like more information than anyone ever needs to know. But I've been working really hard the past couple years at realizing that I'm an introvert, understanding what that means, and and understanding that there's there's a spectrum of where shyness comes from. And it comes from fear on one side of the spectrum and wanting to enrich your life with aloneness sort of on the other end. Uh, And again, this is just purely personal. This is where mine comes from. And realizing that you can move yourself along that spectrum. So I went from being absolutely terrified of people to I now do public speaking. I do community mentoring. I do all sorts of different things. I have a show, like what the heck, even saying my show, like I know, right? And so I very well as you tell your story, not to not to, yeah, no. not to interrupt, but just I, what I meant by that was because I made a parallel motion for those who can't see, <laughs> was that I also like I'm this huge introvert, but I also I was I was a teacher teaching classes, doing public speaking to all yes. these groups, and like you know, and that dichotomy. It's funny. It's really funny you would say that. So sorry, I didn't mean to. No, I just wanted it you is. to know that like it's more it's more than just the show now too. Like we're getting into like weird parallels like in our everyday normal outside of this lives. So yes, and I actually initially um, was introduced to that when I had to do some teaching for my last job, and I was doing like software teaching, which is just weird. I and and in order to do that, I've noticed that in overcoming fear and just really owning my introvertedness, I've been really journaling about what that means and struggling with what that means. And for me, it means understanding that I can trust myself around people. I can trust myself to be myself. I can trust myself to not have my brain go into like flatline mode when I look at people. <laughs> and and I think a lot of introverts out there will identify with that. Like yeah. there's this terror of sitting down in front of somebody and not knowing what to say. And so realizing that that is a myth that I tell myself, um, yeah. I just sort of jump in and and react. And I found that I love people. I love people so much. And I love hearing their stories. And it's it's interesting because there's expectations. When people are a fan of your work and they meet you, I feel like there's yeah. expectations on both ends. There's their expectation of you to be this amazing thing. And there's you, this <laughs> expectation you have of yourself that I can't let them down and I have to be this amazing thing. And um, what I do is I fall back into listener mode and I say, tell me about you. I want to hear about you. And that's sort of how I've dealt with it is I sort of deflect. Yeah. And I don't know if that's healthy or good, but like that's that's what I did at these past few conferences since I've been at. People say, hey, can I take a picture with you? And I say, sure. And we take a picture and I say, so tell me about you. And, and well, we, yeah, I'm I, I hope to one day get to where you're at, because it's sort of like you you um, started to trust yourself. I just gave up on myself. I was just like that person's that person. You know what I mean? Just go with it let it ride because like, you're just going to be like, and whatever, like it's more of a give up than like a trust, but also like the idea of taking a photo with someone like, like my mom the other day, like we were out to, we were out to dinner and she's like, Hey, I want to take a photo of you for your, for your godmother. And I'm like, no, like I'm, I'm hideous. Like, don't take a photo of me, you know? Like, and I know, like I genuinely, like I have this thing like where it's just like, I'm like you. I I love people. I want to know their stories. Other people fascinate me. Other people are beautiful. But it's just like mm, I'm not so much. And it's 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 not based on anything. It's just more 
I talked to, like you said, I talked to so many people. I'm like, man, you're so cool. And you have all these experiences and all these stories. And like, I don't feel like I have those as much. And like, I think a lot of my ideas I pull from society and other people and, and all this stuff. And, and that sort of goes back to what I said to you when I think we first started talking was, you know, like my fear of appropriation sometimes too, because mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. I get all this inspiration from so many other people. I totally understand this. And for me, it came from holding ideas and literature on a pedestal and telling myself as I grew up, like, I, I don't want to say like I worshiped books, like I wasn't putting them on a shrine and like bowing down to them. But like, right. books are sacred to me. And mm-hmm. writers are sacred to me. And authors are sacred to me. And the craft of turning ideas. The mysticism into, of yes, writing. Yes, it's, it's, it's sacred and it's beautiful. And I have this idea that it's not something I can even approach. And I'm hearing a little bit of that maybe in what you're saying, not to like project onto yeah. you, but it's like, um, who am I to walk into the hall of the gods? Right. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, yes, it's blasphemous. almost. Yes, it is. But at the same time, we hold these ideas and these stories in such high regard that maybe we are holding them in too high regard and forgetting sometimes that these things that we love are made by other people who maybe have, right. you know, Shakespeare appropriated everything while still being creative. And I, and I think maybe it's a good idea to, or not a good idea, maybe a good practice to, gosh, I don't want to say think less of books and stories because then that that's very contrary to our natures, well, I think. But is it, is this a condemnation though of how society treats its sort of cultural flashpoints and, 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 and pieces of importance where we sort of like wash all the flaws out of these people yes. and out of these works and out of, you know what I mean? Like historically, we wash it, we clean it. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's where, and this is just me spitballing, right? Like maybe, maybe that's where we end up sort of under these works and these people, because it's like, you forget that, you know, Van Gogh was a mess, mm-hmm. like a complete mess of a human being. And Picasso wasn't even someone I would want to be friends with or talk to. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like great artist. I don't want to even, I wouldn't even want to be in his company. So like, yeah, I think I think it's something that we've we've kind of as a society like done to ourselves. Like we don't contextualize like what's happened honestly recently, I wonder if we will start to. Right? You know, the Me Too movements mm. and the things like this where it's like maybe now we will start to sort of hold creators accountable for who they are too. And it's something that I've been trying to do and that is be transparent about the process and saying like hey, I'm on draft three of episode nine, and I can't figure out what to do with this scene. Um, you post pictures of your software interface. Like, I love that. I yeah. love that. And I and I like to do it because what I, what I really want to do is do something. I love paying it forward, and I love doing things that I wish other people had done for me, and I want to do that for other people. And um, I posted, like, a selfie the other day of me with, like, bags under my eyes and no makeup and saying, like, I can't even handle today. I was going to write and record Girl in Space, and I can't right now because I live life, and I'm a human being, and I'm working two jobs and, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and and I which and I, I I nothing but respect that and I see a lot of that honestly, it's crazy to someone like me and I, like I said inspiring to someone like me and and why I've even jumped into it is because I see that bravery like Heretic podcast and a podcast I, I love they had to take a break right like mm-hmm. Starless had you know issues with um with things happening in her life and like you said very very transparent about these things and just tell people yeah. And and yeah. I struggle with that too. Like it's it's not easy, and I don't even feel brave 
it, but it's something that I I'm concerned with is transparency and authenticity and like the way to make something happen is to do it yourself and to like start modeling that behavior. So I really, and I'd love to see more of that even in audio dramas, such a, a relatively speaking, a new medium. Um, I want to see this happening in like entrenched creative communities too, like arts yeah. and novel writing. Also, I have to run away soon. And I'm so, I'm so upset about this. If people are interested in your work, what do they do and where do they go? I know you don't have a website at this time, but where can people find your work? If you want to be connected to me and the audio drama uh, 2298, I would just go to 2298pod on Twitter or 2298pod on SoundCloud or just search 2298 in any of your podcast devices and apps of any kind. I'm pretty sure it's in all of them except for Spotify, because they're giving me trouble for some unknown reason. So so go out, listen to 2298, support Anthony on Patreon, because he is doing wonderful things. And he's very uncomfortable uh, asking for money and compensation. So, so please uh, go and become a patron of his um, and support this beautiful work that he's doing. Gosh, I I could seriously talk to you for like another eight or nine or 10 hours. Um, Easily, probably. Yes, uh, because first and foremost, we're the same person, which is kind of cool. Yeah. But also just because you're a wonderful creator, you're talented, you're humble, and you are you are all of these things that I wish so many other creators could be. So thank you. Thank you. Okay, you're hiding. But also thank you uh, for this, this wonderful gift that you've given the, the audio drama community and the, and the community of people who appreciate fiction, speculative fiction as well. You're doing wonderful work. And I'm so excited to see where this takes you. You are, you are in a very good path. Thank you. And I'm, I'm excited to, uh, you know, to have y'all join me uh, in ending this one and starting a new one and, and all of that kind of stuff. Thank you so, so much for being a guest on the show. Thank you for being transparent and open and honest um, with your creative process and just for uh, your hopes and fears and all of the wonderful things we've talked about today. So thank you. No, thank you. I was so happy to do it. Bye.